0: So hello and thanks for joining us. I'm Kate Hadwin, Principal of Pimble Ladies College in Sydney, Australia. Welcome to another episode of Speaking of Change, our podcast series exploring ways we can advance gender equality and unleash the power of our young women to change their world for the better. Today, I have a real treat for you. I'm joined by the fabulous Chloe Dalton. Thank you. OAM Olympian and one of Australia's few triple sport elite athletes. Wow, Chloe, I couldn't even imagine what that's like. And of course, Pimble X student. Although I'm confident Chloe needs absolutely no introduction, let me share a little with you about Chloe's achievements to date. And Chloe, you're so young, I begin to wonder. What's next for you? So we'll, we'll get on to that. But Chloe began her career as a basketball player in the WNBL for the Sydney Uni Flames while she was still at school. It's pretty remarkable. And apparently after Googling Olympic sports, that's a story I'd love to hear about, she found Rugby Sevens, where she debuted for the Australian Rugby Sevens team in 2014. Get this. She was in
1: year 10. Have I got that right, Chloe? I think by that point I was maybe 21. So I I was still doing basketball when I was in school and then it was rugby sevens when I was about 19 onwards. 19 onwards. I mean, that is just phenomenal. And by 2016,
0: you were at the Rio Olympics. What a blast. That is amazing. And of course, the Australian Rugby Sevens team won gold. That must have been an incredible experience, Chloe. It was
1: pretty mind blowing. It still feels quite surreal to think that it happened to me.
0: I can imagine. Where do you store your gold medal? Where is it?
1: I had it uh, at home at mum and dad's for a little while because in my mind that seemed like a safer place to have it. I had it, um, I think, in my sock drawer because I'd heard that other Olympians (laughs) stored it there. And so I kind of just followed suit. And. After a while, I realized that mum had actually moved it into the kitchen because she said it was safer, but I think it was just so that she could show it to people when they came over for a drink. (laughs) Well, why not? I would if I was your (laughs) mum. I was like, you know what? I think you've earned that as mum. So you can, you can enjoy that glory as well. I love it. And now it's in some
0: secret undisclosed location (laughs) that we won't share today. But of course, you know that the whole of Pimble watched it in the aquatic centre on the large screen and everybody still talks to me about that day and what a buzz there was and how much they felt a part of your journey. So that was, that was beautiful. Well, you were awarded the Order of Australian Medal for Service in Sport in 2017. In the same year, you were recognised as Australia's top rugby sevens player, winning the Sean Mackay medal. How extraordinary at such a young age. You then crossed to Aussie rules. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why? You were at your absolute top. Talk to me about that. What led to that decision?
1: Yeah, that was a really big decision. I think coming off the success that we had had in Rio and then i it was it was my best season in twenty seventeen. Um, and I won a couple of those awards, which was kind of this cool moment because I think for a long time in Rugby sevens, I still felt like I was proving myself because I was new to the sport in a way i'd I'd had my whole junior career with basketball, and I knew that so much of what I'd done as a young person and as a teenager had contributed to what I brought across to Rugby Sevens, but I did feel like I was. Constantly having to prove that that I should be in that team. And I think Rio in particular, and then the 2017 season was really cool to kind of really cement my name in, in knowing that that I had performed and that I that I did deserve to be there. So the decision to actually step away and to have a crack at Aussie Rules was a really big decision. It was it was quite scary. And I think change always is scary because you're leaving what you know and a lot of the time what you know you're good at but for me I'd seen the first couple of seasons of AFLW on TV and I thought I think my skills in rugby sevens and basketball combined could hopefully make me a good footy player and I just got to the point with rugby sevens where I wasn't getting the same level of enjoyment as I as I had in the past I I just found when I was waking up in the morning I was I was dreading going to training and I just didn't feel the joy and fulfillment that i used to feel from it and i think it's that really tricky balance sometimes where it's important to to persevere even when you don't you won't always find joy in your job or your sport or your passion or your career whatever that looks like but i think for me i i really wanted to take a step back and realize that i did have a pretty cool opportunity to try something new and and i think it it takes a level of courage to kind of step out and and just see I don't know how I'm going to go here but but I'm going to give it a crack and and see what happens.
0: And AFLW is so exciting, isn't it? I mean, we have a number of Pimble girls, ex-Pimble students playing in teams as you know, and there's just this real energy around it. It's it's lovely to see that cut through as a sport. How do you think you're leading the way by being one of these real pioneering women as I would call them in a new sport?
1: Yeah, it's been a really cool experience to be part of it. It's such a traditional sport and and I think the incredible thing is that women have been playing for so many decades but just haven't had the opportunity to play at the level that we're now playing at. So I think to be the recipient in a way of of all of the hard work from those women to allow us to now pioneer in this semi-professional, hopefully soon professional era of the game I think is a really Really cool thing to be a part of. My biggest hope is that in a few years' time—I don't know how many years—it'll be in a few years' time there'll be the young, eighteen-year-old kids, hopefully some some Pimble students coming through the draft who will then walk into those programs and be a full-time professional athlete and and will be able to acknowledge the people that have come before. But for them, they won't ever have to experience this this tricky juggle of of the part-time nature of of the current situation with women's sport.
0: Mm, it's hard, isn't it? It's so very hard and. Other than being a physiotherapist in your spare time and uh, this year the Beyond Greatness champion for the FIFA Women's World Cup and let's hope that gets a lot of media attention. It's that whole piece about media attention I know you're really passionate about and it no doubt probably led to the start of your fabulous business, the Female Athlete Project. Talk
1: to me about that. What was the the genesis of that idea? Yeah, there were probably a couple of defining moments for me that, that led to the point of starting the Female Athlete Project. And I think the key one, when I was at Rugby Sevens, I was an ambassador for Our Watch, which is the organisation that's all about the prevention of domestic violence. And when I was first approached about being an ambassador, I, I wasn't really sure if I was the right person. I didn't feel like I was necessarily equipped with the right knowledge and skills and I knew what an important issue it was, but a, but a really, um, a really sensitive issue at the same time. So I, I, I was a little bit hesitant, but the team from Our Watch said to me, come along to the training day and, and see what you think. We'll, we'll take you through all the information, information, and then you can make a decision from there. And I sat down in this training day and, and I was pretty amazed by, by a couple of things. I think the biggest one was, a lot of the the myths that surround domestic violence in terms of what the underlying cause is. There's a lot of factors that that contribute to it, like um, drug use, alcohol use, a history of violence, but, but the main underlying cause is the gender inequality the, that exists and that power imbalance that exists. And the second component of the training was the power that sport has in Australian culture. I think for me as an athlete I always knew how much joy sport brought to me and, and my family and people close to me and people who loved watching it. But I think that day for me was a moment where I realized that as an athlete, I don't just go out there and play just for fun and and to to win trophies and things. I think I really took the weight of that on board of the role that I can have in actually changing people's perceptions about where women belong in society. And so for me starting the female athlete project, I started with my two brothers, which was pretty cool. Was was this way of of me putting out there like hey I'm really passionate about this and I want to create change because I often felt so frustrated that when I'd have a day off I'd go down to the beach grab a newspaper and a coffee and flick to the back page and and read the sports stories and I could never find stories about women in sport so the female athlete project is a way of me really practically trying to a- address the issue and and providing a platform that's that's grown to a community of a, over forty five thousand people who are just so passionate about women in sport, which is which has been a pretty cool roller coaster.
0: That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank it's, you. It's really hard starting a business from scratch and. Having one that's as successful as yours and and Chloe today is sporting her fabulous shirt. Go online and grab one, everybody. I've got one. It's at my home in Ballina and I was frustrated that I didn't have it with me, but it's lovely to see you sporting it today, Chloe. Thank you. Just thinking about Our Watch and domestic violence, and of course we know that research says that whenever there's a major sporting grand final on, of course the domestic violence numbers really shoot through the roof and so on. I'm really interested in when you were approached about being a part of that, that sense of, hmm, perhaps not me, you know, I'm not up for it, and that's such a common theme with women, That certainly women that I mentor, that I see what advice would you have for girls and women that that kind of helped you feel confident enough to turn up to that training session?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think for me, I, I what I really took away from that experience was the opportunity to learn. So I think if the, if you're presented with something like that where you might um, might not feel equipped, you might have a sense of imposter syndrome, you might feel like you're not the right person. I think the biggest thing is to almost take the opportunity to learn the information that's available to you to then make an informed decision. And I think the other thing is that as a woman, we've all experienced different forms of inequality and I think there's a real power in what I've learned, particularly through the Female Athlete Project, is that every single person's story is unique but that it carries so much power because it's each individual's story who's had their own experiences their own really positive experiences and, and some of them quite negative experiences. So I think for me, I've learned to embrace the fact that even though my story feels boring to me because it's my life, <laughs> that's hilarious, Chloe. Seriously, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> when you tell it multiple times, you feel like you're—it's getting boring. You know what I mean? Like it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, are people still oh, interested? May I know what that feels like to be Chloe? <laughs> Sorry, no. Carry on. <laughs> I think you sometimes have to to take a step back and and just take a moment to realise that that your story is is unique and it's important and it can carry power in sharing that with other people.
0: One of the things that has really interested me about your journey is this whole idea, and I've heard you speak about it before, about becoming a beginner again. Now, for many of us, becoming a beginner again is frankly terribly unappealing, (laughs) mildly terrifying. (laughs) Yet this seems to be just a common theme that runs through your life. So how do you think about becoming a beginner again? What comes to mind when I say that to you?
1: Yeah, it brings to mind this quote that I often use from Steve Jobs and it it was the heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of becoming a beginner again. And I think for me, it really, I read it not long after I transitioned across to AFLW And the pressure of coming off the back of winning the Olympic gold medal with the Rugby Sevens team to then having to perform in every single tournament for rugby was pretty intense. Um, And a lot of people talk about the fact that pressure is a privilege, which I completely agree with. And I think that was something that we had earned and and we we kind of really relished that opportunity to be number one in the world and the team that everyone wanted to beat. But I think... I, I loved this space of, of stepping into Aussie rules and I think stubbornly I knew that eventually I would be good at it. I think I have something within me that I, I don't like not being good at things, so I know really? that I'm... <laughs> I could have never guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I have something within me that knows that if I'm not good at something at the beginning... I'll persevere and I'll find a way to become good at it, whatever that takes, whether it's researching, whether it's repetition, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's watching video and a whole range of different factors. So I think for me it was kind of this cool experience of knowing I'm going to probably suck at this game from the beginning. And I I grew up I didn't know the rules when I when I started to play because I grew up in Sydney and and when I was a kid it wasn't big at all. I I'd, I'd see the the Swans team the men's team play on TV and I'd cuz I was in a rugby family I was like they don't really tackle properly. It's very scrappy. It's very messy. And so I I got down to Melbourne and and I was trying to learn this game, not only learn the skills of the game but actually learn the rules and and get an understanding of where I should be and when. And I think it's kind of this opportunity to take a step back and absorb as much as you can from other people because I think when you get to to a point of, of being successful at something, there's a level of expectation that comes, whether it's something you put on yourself or whether it's something that comes from other people, that you should know the answers and you should have the information and you should be good at what you do. And I think why I encourage people to put themselves in a position where they might be a beginner again in whatever capacity that looks like. It's a great opportunity to to make a choice to humble yourself in a way and to be really teachable. And what I love to do in those environments is to find the people who are the very best at what they do and ask them as many questions as I can and, and try and learn. And I think the cool thing for me is as I've kind of gone through that process is even now I feel so comfortable playing the game of Aussie rules and I'm a lot better than what I used to be and I get to play in the top tier competition but there's never a ceiling for me of of when I'm going to stop asking questions or when I'm going to stop learning and getting better. And so I think it's kind of been this cool process of, yes, as a beginner you can ask lots of questions and you can be teachable and you can love that th- that opportunity but it's also so important no matter what level that you get to in your sport or your career or whatever it is, you should never stop asking questions and, and being teachable.
0: The lightness of becoming a beginner again. Chloe, I think you need to write a book about that. I really <laughs> do. There are so many you listed off there about 15 strategies. I'm in my mind, I'm seeing chapters for each of them, you know, all framed around asking questions and being a lifelong learner in whatever endeavor, you know, that you're you're wanting to take on. And it, it just I guess it makes me think also about some of the challenges that have arisen in your career and I think about injury and I think about all of those obstacles that you needed to overcome and and I'm going to, if I may, take you back now to that terrible day in Townsville and uh, what led to you not being eligible really for the Tokyo Olympics.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I... um like I was saying before, I share my story a lot and I talk a lot about, I, I broke my arm three times in the lead up to Rio and I talk a lot about that story. But, but I think subconsciously, I almost not spoken a huge amount about the Tokyo story because I think it's still one that, that is a little bit raw in a way. So we were, we traveled up to Townsville four weeks out from the Tokyo Olympics, which was in 2021, due to be in 2020, but in 2021. And we were playing a, tournament against New Zealand, Fiji and an Australia A team. And in one of the games, my teammate and I came from opposite directions to tackle the same person. And the top of her head went into my cheekbone and I just lay back on the ground. And the second that it happened, I just knew something wasn't right. I felt this horrendous throbbing pain in my face. And, and it felt like an eternity before the physio ran over to me and, once she sat me up, I actually had blood stream from my nose and I my nose hadn't been hit and so I just had this this thought again of this isn't right, there's there's something in there that's not right and as they carried me off the field, they were trying to do a head injury assessment which they often do for concussion because I was bawling my eyes out because the reality had already hit me that I wasn't going to be going to Tokyo and so they thought that I had a symptom of concussion because you can often get quite emotional and, they kept, and I was like, I don't need a concussion assessment. Like I don't I don't care. I don't want a concussion assessment. I just need to know if there's a fracture in my cheekbone. Anyway, there was some incredible medical facilities right around the corner. So I got into the the I think the surgeon was sitting in the crowd watching the game with his son, he said to me at a later date. And he saw it happen and he said, I think I might be operating on her a little bit later. Oh, wow. Anyway, so the I can't remember if it was the surgeon or the doctor, but one of them put me in their Porsche and I was in my Australian uniform with blood all over me and I was like, sorry about getting blood in your Porsche. (sighs) Anyway, he drove me to the hospital and I had scans done and I think they found about four fractures in my cheekbone and through my sinuses. Chloe. And I had to not only have surgery but I had to wait five days locked in a hospital room because we're in the peak of COVID and we had left Sydney being a hot spot. Yes. Um, and we'd done multiple negative tests to before we played and, and they were really vigilant on testing us at that point in time. And because there wasn't COVID in Townsville at that point in time and it's a much smaller place in Sydney, they were pretty paranoid about me being in the hospital. And they still wanted to test me even though I had a fractured cheekbone and all these fractures in my sinuses. So having that put up my nose was not a pleasant experience at all. No. Um, Yeah, but it was just, it was a pretty full-on time because I was locked in this hospital room waiting five days for the swelling in my cheek to go down before they could operate. And it was a little bit touch and go because the surgeon had operated on Darren Lockyer's cheek the rugby league player and he got back in four weeks mm. and so there was kind of this moment where he was like you might be able to get back in time and so in the back of my head I was like oh maybe like it doesn't feel like that feels way too rushed and then I remember my the hospital gave special clearance for my coach to come and visit me and I just I knew that the second he was coming in that it wasn't going to be good news and and he just sat there and it was heartbreaking because I knew how hard it was for him to have that conversation but just to hear the words that i knew were coming but to hear them out loud was was pretty full on and and it was just that he had made the decision with with the medical team as that it was just it was too short a, a time frame so i then had to once i had the surgery i had to wait up there for 2 weeks because i wasn't allowed to fly and then eventually came back and and sat in lockdown and and watched my teammates head over to Tokyo and compete in the Olympics which was pretty hard. What a terrible story Chloe. I'm so I'm so sad to
0: hear that you went through that. Tell me about the recovery. What what did that teach you? You know how you've heard that you've heard the saying greatest challenges lead to greatest opportunities. Was that true for you or or not?
1: Yeah, it was. What actually became an incredible opportunity from it was that our coverage of the Olympics and the Paralympics through the Female Athlete Project grew our community, grew our audience by thousands and thousands of people because we put a huge amount of effort into preparing these daily schedules and daily results and celebrating all of the medals that our incredible female athletes won over there. And, And another component of that was that during the Paralympics, there was an article, I think, through the SBS that came out about the fact that Paralympians didn't receive the same medal bonuses as Olympians. So if you win a medal in the Olympics, if you win gold, it's 20K. If you win silver, it's 15 grand and bronze, it's 10 grand. And it's never the Paralympians have never had any medal bonus, let alone even being close to equal. Wow. And I heard that news and I was mind blown because I had mm. just incorrectly assumed that they receive the same medal bonuses. So we, through the Female Athlete Project, prepared this really big campaign that um, involved equal t-shirts. We printed equal on these t-shirts. All of the profits went to the campaign. We started a GoFundMe page that raised just under $100,000. And we did a social campaign where thousands and thousands of people shared um, th- these tiles that we made on Instagram about the information. And so it was kind of this combination of things where if people wanted to contribute money to it, to go towards the Paralympians, they could, or if they just wanted to use their so- social profile, even if they had 10 followers. But there was this real power in people talking about it and people calling out this issue. Um, and so that week, it, we did a lot of radio interviews and TV interviews and kind of were, we're talking about it. And there was obviously some incredible journalists who got on board and, and the Australian public. And And then Scott Morrison during question question time actually announced that the government was going to match the medal bonuses so that the Paralympians would receive equal medal bonuses as the Olympians. And that was a pretty cool moment for Paralympians like Ellie Cole, who I believe was training at Pimble for for a Mm -hmm. um, solid period of time with the Campbell sisters, who has been campaigning for her entire career. Her dad has been campaigning. So many people within the Paralympic community had pushed it to to get to that point. And I think it was just a really cool moment in realising the power of social media to be a really positive tool, but also for, I think, people to be able to raise awareness about the cause, because a lot of the time it's it's people not knowing mm-hmm. that those inequalities exist.
0: And Chloe, that must have surely been a powerful moment for you as well. You know, the power of one, that's what you're telling us is The power of one person being really intentional about an outcome can change something very significant. There are obviously a lot of young people and a lot of women out there who are injured and men as well who are injured through sport. It sounds to me like you were really able to bounce back and in some way draw on something special within you to recover from that. What do you think that was or what advice would you give people who are out there injured at the moment? have worked really hard to get to whatever level, they may not be at your level, but worked really hard to get there.
1: What What's your advice about how you did it? The biggest thing I've learned through injuries is about finding something that you can work on in that time. So I touched on my my broken arm that happened before Rio. So with that one, I couldn't pass or train with my teammates or do anything really in the gym for, for solid periods of time. And so I made the decision of I want to be the best kicker on the World Series and so I just spent hours and hours and hours working on my drop kicking. And I think, again, it can a- apply to all formats of life, whether it's injury or whether during COVID people were was stopped from doing kind of what their normal daily life would look like. I think for me there's always a way that you can find something else to get ba- get better at. Um, so I think that was a, a cool thing of of learning that. And each time I've had an injury, I think you've got to also learn to just sit with the feelings that come with it because because I talk about finding something else that you can do in that time and, and finding something that you can get better at. But it's also just important to sometimes just be like this sucks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I didn't want this. I didn't want to miss out on the Olympics and like it was, it was incredible the opportunities that came with being at home and, and doing the media coverage and things like that. But I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there with my teammates and I worked really, really hard to get myself in a position to be there. So I think it's really important to acknowledge those feelings and those emotions rather than just trying to cover them up with a Band-Aid and just get better at something else. Um, and then my probably my final one around the injury piece is when you're going through rehab and and like you said, whatever level of sport or activity you're doing, it's a really cool thing to be a part of because depending on your injury, almost every single day, you get better at something. Whether it's having slightly more range in your knee, if you've had a knee injury or your quad muscle gets slightly stronger, or today you can walk pain-free or or you get to start running again. I think the, the rehab process from injury... Is, is quite a cool thing of actually recognising the really small wins and, and celebrating those small wins because when you're at your peak, you work really, really hard for these tiny little increments of improvement whereas when you go through that rehab process, you can kind of make some pretty solid jumps from where you were the day before and I think it's really important to recognise those.
0: And just listening to you, you know, it sounds like a lot of hard work, frankly. And it really takes me back to a comment I once heard you talk about or perhaps saw you write about, which was a guy who was at uni with you, a colleague who was at uni, you know where I'm going, Chloe's giving me this fabulous smile, and goes along the lines of him saying to you something like, uh, I wish I was a girl because it'd be so easy to represent Australia. What has it taken to be, what have been the sacrifices to be Chloe Dalton, triple elite athlete, what have you sacrificed to get there?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think there's so many physical and and mental components. I think being an athlete is like, it's quite a selfish life in a way. And and whether you want it to be that or you don't, you are so often having to put your training and your life first and and it impacts social outings and, and maintaining a lot of different friendships and relationships, things like if I've got an AFLW game on and I've got a, a friend's wedding, unless it's like a sibling or a best friend getting married, it's unlikely I'm going to be able to not play in that game. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this really tricky thing where your sport, for that, for the short period of life that you that, is, that it is your career, that has to be number one over a lot of other things, which is sometimes a really tricky decision to make. And so I think what I found really difficult in kind of this run of injuries that I've had over the past 18 or so months following on from the cheekbone fracture is that sport is so cruel because even though I work so hard, I might then get injured and I don't actually get the reward from it. And again, I was reading something the other day about that is that playing and and competing is actually your reward as an athlete. And so when you do get injured, you're kind of doing the work without actually seeing the results. And in a standard job, if if you put in X amount of hours and X amount of work, you generally get a similar level of output and a similar level of results and success and i think it's sometimes really hard as an athlete to get your head around i've prioritized my sport i've eaten correctly i've i've not been drinking when i go to these events i've i've cut out all of these things to be the very best athlete i can be and then something happens that's completely out of your control and then you miss out on the reward and so i think for me that's that's been a huge sacrifice and a huge thing just to try and get my head around that that is the nature of sport and and that's what I've chosen to do because I love the highs that come with it and I love, one of the reasons I so love playing sport is because of the joy that it brings to people like my family. Oh, so I always get emotional when I talk about my family. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I think... For me, in those moments where it feels really hard and it's so frustrating that things are out of your control, I try and come back to why I love doing it. But, yeah, one of the big driving forces for me is, is that it brings so much joy to the people around me as well.
0: And when you think about your family and you say you set your business up with your brothers and I, I'd love to know what's game day look like in your house what what's going on in your house you wake up when do you get up what's what's going on
1: i like game day to be pretty laid back some people some teammates i know and some people i've played with across the years like to be really active and really structured in their routine i like to get out and go for a walk hopefully in a bit of sunshine coffee do a bit of mobility and a stretch and i think one thing I learned, particularly through Rugby Sevens, because we'd travel the world and be in different locations and we'd have access to different food at every event. So, so all of the teams stay in the one hotel and have um, kind of the one dining room where you get fed all of your meals. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're in um, Sao Paulo in Brazil in the middle of nowhere getting fed some very interesting meals. But you kind of have to be quite adaptable. And I had a teammate in AFLW at Carlton and she refused, like she would only ever have spaghetti bolognese that she had cooked the night before a game. And I remember she wouldn't, she refused to come to, we had someone's 21st birthday the night before a local game and she refused to come to the game because she had to eat her spaghetti bolognese at home. And I think for me that was kind of like a you. you just have to adapt. And so I think that's why for me, with game day, I kind of like to go with the flow a little bit because I think if you have superstitions and really rigid routines, if you're in an environment where you can't actually follow through on those, it might impact your headspace, which could then impact your performance on game day. Chloe,
0: you started at um, Carlton, you're now with the Giants, GWS Giants. And, you know, what's I guess I'm thinking about uh, women in sport and the future of AFLW. It's such a young game. And if we think about all women in sport, so 40% of of women play sport and they attract 4% of the media coverage, 4%. Shameful. I know it's something you're really passionate about, what do you think we should be doing? Every single person, is there something that we each could be doing to impact on this terrible stat?
1: Yeah, we, we actually shared a post just the other day on the Female Athlete Project talking about free ways that people can actually support women in sport. And, and one of the big ways is is watching them when they're on television. Um, we know in, in sport as a whole that broadcast deals bring in the biggest money and so people can really actively just get behind women's sport by watching it when it's on TV. Another one is if you're on social media, following the athletes on social media and engaging with their content, whether it's liking, commenting, sharing it, just getting behind the athletes. Because a lot of the time that's actually how athletes then get brand deals. So if a female athlete isn't being paid a full-time salary from her sport, it's really cool for the athlete to be able to get a brand deal that might supplement that income. And if a brand goes to look at their, they often will look at um, your engagement and your statistics on your Instagram. And if an athlete has really good engagement where lots of people are liking and commenting and sharing their posts, that actually reflects really well on them and means they're more likely to get a deal with a brand where they can kind of have more income coming in. So I think that's a really easy way to to support the athletes. Um, And then from probably more from a from a paid perspective, it's getting a ticket to go and watch the game, actually physically going out and watching the athletes play, buy a membership for your favourite team, buy their merchandise, whatever that looks like. But I think they're really quite small things that can make a big difference if if multiple people get on board and do it. Mm, they're such easy
0: things to do, aren't they? I mean, I think about my own life and I, I don't um, tend to watch TV, but I do turn it on while I'm working. <laughs> and yeah, so right. I'm working in my office and I turn on the women's sport yeah,
1: cool. because I know it
0: helps that yeah, endeavour. Cool. But you don't have to be sitting in front of it. There are so many different things that you can do, I think, to support women in sport, and and to turn that 4%, which is really, really terrible, into something that actually means that women can have careers in sport rather than what you're talking about, which is a really difficult space to be in where amateur, not paid well, need to do physiotherapy work on the side, all the rest of it, it must be frustrating to see your male counterparts treated so differently.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really frustrating. And I think the biggest thing that I'd really like to see is a lot of time on social media, and there's a lot of discussions at the moment um, because of the NRL collective bargaining agreement um, negotiations that are happening. And the women are are trying to get their very first CBA. So, So for people that don't know the the Players Association will often meet with the governing body and they come together over many months and agree on the rights of the players, things like minimum salary. For the women it could be things like a pregnancy policy, maternity leave, all of these factors that in a way protect the players and, and provide minimum standards for them to be looked after. And a lot of the time there's a lot of trolls on social media that will say the women don't deserve to be paid the same as men, they don't bring in the same revenue, and this this old argument and I think a lot of the time, female athletes aren't out here saying we want to be paid three hundred thousand dollars like the men's league are. What the athletes are actually asking for is for a livable salary, so that they can play their sport full time and not have to worry about going to find another job, so that they can make a living. So I think that's that's the biggest thing that that I'd really like to see shift. It's important for the recognition of of the. The minimum kind of standard that I think should be in place, particularly over the next couple of years, is is for these athletes to do it as their full-time job.
0: A livable wage for women. It sounds like the next topic for the female athlete
1: project. Absolutely. <laughs> and I don't I don't think it's too much to ask. Of course
0: it's not. Mm. Of course it's not too much to ask. And mm. it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. perhaps it's going to start with NRL. And then it will move to other sports. It's what we all want for our girls in the future. So I'm looking forward to seeing you campaign and I'll be getting right behind you and encouraging everybody in my network to get right behind that project. Thank you very much. I'm frustrated by uh, how hard it is to move forward this women's agenda across every endeavour. And sport is, you know, like construction and other spaces it really lags behind. Is there something in society that you think is
1: holding us back from really making the gains that we need to make in this area? I feel like for me the, the overarching theme is, is just holding to these old beliefs around the idea that women and girls don't belong in the sporting space the people that are making the decisions around marketing spend and all of those kind of things, there's actually research that says that they still believe, even if there's the data to prove otherwise, they still believe that the women don't bring in the revenue to warrant the investment in, in marketing. So I think it's it's really trying to shift people's ideas and it's not even necessarily the trolls on social media and and kind of the old men who might think that girls shouldn't be playing contact sports. I think it's really changing the attitudes through I love this data that's coming out now. We're, we're starting to see this real shift where not only are we seeing an increase in um, broadcast viewership numbers, an increase in, in sold-out stadiums. The, the Barcelona women's football team sold out over 90,000 seat stadiums on multiple occasions last year. Um, we've seen the Matildas in the upcoming World Cup. They've they've recently announced, FIFA recently announced, they're going to move the stadium from what was a, a 40,000 seat stadium to now 85,000 seats to allow for more fans because it was sold out already at the smaller stadium. So there's this real demand there. And there's also data that I love from... Uh, a company called True North Research, and they look at fans' emotional connections with sporting teams. And what they've actually found is that a lot of the time fans will have a much stronger emotional connection to women's sporting teams because of the way that female athletes carry themselves on and off the court, field, pitch, whatever it is. And so what that actually means, they've taken that research a step further to see that because fans have such a positive emotional connection with the teams and the athletes, that actually carries on to the fans sentiment towards the brands that sponsor those women's teams. So that means that that the brands that sponsor those women's teams can actually get a greater return on investment from partnering with them because of of the positive connotations with the women's sporting teams. So I love, I get excited about data like that because Mm. it's actually proving wrong this idea that Firstly, no one watches women's sport. It's proving that wrong, but it's also proving that there's not money to be made from women's sport. It's no longer this charity case that, that people need to just put money into because they feel sorry for the female athletes. It's actually this this huge growth potential that exists there that that I think brands are starting to realise that they should be getting on board with. I
0: wonder also if uh, women pushing into those traditionally male-dominated sports like you're in at the moment is just setting a different platform as well. It's sort of resetting and and people are, you know, a little bit disrupted but excited by the possibility of what that might bring in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just while you were touching on that, I was thinking about also women in leadership roles and administrative roles in the background of those sports as well. I think that's where there needs to be a real shift because, Traditionally, it has been men in those positions of power making decisions about the female athletes, and I think it's really important to – we're seeing an increase in AFL, for example. We've seen a couple of female presidents of some of the big clubs recently, which has been incredible, and I think we're starting to see that shift, but I think that's another really important component of starting to work towards – a more equal future.
0: And they kind of linked together because there was that fabulous research that came out fairly recently that said oh, more than 90%, I can't remember the number exactly, but more than 90% of women who are chief executives played competitive
1: sport at school. Yeah. I mean, that's a cracking statistic, isn't it? It's pretty cool, that stat. I really love that. If you look at what sport teaches you, right? Like it's it, it makes so much sense. Even earlier this week, I was at Parliament House meeting different ministers and I got to meet the PM, which was pretty cool. But I kind of had this moment of of realising sport is a very powerful tool to connect people. If I meet someone that I have absolutely no common ground with, if they're a fan of sport, I could talk to them for a couple of hours. So I think it's this cool thing when sometimes I walk into rooms like that, where it's a little bit daunting and you kind of have to go and network and do those kind of things. I think sport is this really beautiful middle ground. And it, it not only gives you the skills, but it, but it gives you common ground with people.
0: And Chloe, before I get on to some rapid fire questions, I mean... I- you know, if I was to be provocative and say, so what, now what, for <laughs> Chloe Dalton, I mean, you, you you are incredible, but you are very young. <laughs> you know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Perhaps if I pitch forward and say, you know, it's another 20 years and you look back on legacy or you think about, turn your mind to, you know, what's next or what you really hope to achieve
1: or be remembered for, what would that be? That's a hard one. I think... Um What I've really loved kind of over the past 12 to 24 months is that I was at Sydney Sevens recently, which was the Rugby Sevens tournament, um, their, their World Series tournament that they played in Sydney. And I had a few different people come up to me and kind of ask for a photo and things like that. And it wasn't actually anything about me as an athlete. Like that's obviously helped me with the Female Athlete Project. But these people actually came up to me and said, thank you so much for what you're doing for women in sport. And I think for me it has made me feel so fulfilled to be able to do that. And I think in a sense, because like I said before, being an athlete is a somewhat selfish pursuit in a way. And I just feel like I've been able to give back so much more, not just to elite athletes, but to people who follow our page and just kind of send a message and say, my under 14s team got shifted to the Back paddock, and it wasn't good enough, and I just wanted to let you know. Like I think it's kind of been cool to make people feel empowered in a way that that they can contribute to this platform that's trying to change that narrative. So I think for me, the legacy piece isn't really about what I can achieve as an athlete. I think it'll it will be about trying to change this narrative that exists around women's sport and and trying to make sure that every person in the country knows the name of of our top female athletes and so
0: you know you've, you've accomplished already changing the the medal value you know for for some of our athletes for our paralympians i feel like the next agenda for chloe is definitely in that space of livable wage for women and i can't wait to be talking to you next chloe and to be hearing about how you cracked that
1: <laughs> i look forward to that day i'm, I'm
0: confident you're our girl great <laughs> thanks Okay, some quick questions for you. So who is one woman who has helped shape who you are today?
1: I'm going to say Hayley Rosen, who's based over in the US, and she was actually the founder of a platform called Just Women's Sports. And so really similar to what we're doing with the Female Athlete Project, but on a much bigger scale. And it's been really cool to see the way that she really uses her platform to to call things out. Um, she does a lot of incredible tweets, calling different things out that that creates a lot of discussion. And I think I've really loved. There's there's so many women that I could name, but I've loved this shift in in people like that calling out things that aren't right and and being comfortable within themselves to know that that they're okay. do that and they might get backlash from trolls and things like that but but the overwhelming response from people within that community is really positive and and again it empowers people to share that information
0: Mm, it's a real leap of faith isn't it a step of courage that is not always easy to do yeah Yep. okay thank you where's your favorite place to spend time and why
1: my favorite place at the moment is down at Fairlight Beach um I'm living on on the northern beaches I grew up on on the northern beaches and I'm in this really cool phase of life at the moment where my partner and I live in Fairlight and then my older brother is just down the bottom of the hill with um, my new little niece. She's about seven months old. And so my favourite part of the day is is when um, when it's nice weather and we get to take her down. She's got this little floaty device and we take her down to the beach for a swim and it's just it's just the best. I think after living interstate and my older brother was in New York for a number of years, so kind of just to be back around family and and to have the first for mum and dad, the first little grand grandkid around has been a really, really special thing.
0: Mm. There's nothing like family is there mm. to uplift you. Yeah. So what about a childhood memory that's been significant in your story?
1: I think going down to, um, to the Sydney Olympics, I'd have to say, I think that was such a cool moment for me. I was seven years old at the time and I, I watched the Kathy Freeman race on the telly. I wish I was there. I was at some of the other events but didn't get to go to that one live. But for me, watching her to take the weight of the nation on her shoulders and to zip up that bodysuit and, and run around the track and to win that gold medal, for me, from that moment, that's when I decided I wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. So it's it's kind of cool to look back and think that that moment as a seven-year-old kid actually changed the course of, of what my life would look like.
0: And, Chloe, Um, I don't know whether you have thought much about this, but for those girls in the aquatic centre when you played, I absolutely know that there will be some of them that will be sitting here in years to come and telling me that that's their moment, that really, you know, ignited their fire to be an Olympian, to work hard, to be persistent, to put up with injuries. So... I'm confident you'll be part of somebody's story out there from that's, that day. That's pretty cool. It I am um, yeah. On
1: that, when I came back, I came back to Pimble to coach Rugby Sevens, which was yes. a really cool experience. And I actually met a couple of the girls who I was coaching um, who were in Year 12 at the time and they talked about watching that game. Yes. And then from there they decided to play Rugby Sevens. So yeah. that just in itself just blew my mind. And it was so cool that I love the fact that girls at Pimble can now play Rugby Sevens and and um Aussie rules as well. It's awesome. It's a hugely growing sport. And of course,
0: the competition we did name after you, as you know, <laughs> yeah. well, we yes. the Dalton competition. So yes. it is your namesake competition. It's now actually run by the league rather than Pimble. So that's fantastic as well, because it's really it's really taken off. And, you know, really you were the you were the beginning of that. You know you were the you were the entry into that story, I think for so, so many girls around New South Wales in particular who have been a part of that competition. So something else you've you know you've um you've kicked off in your life. Yeah. Chloe, uh, if last question or second last question, something that bugs you and how you've learned to deal
1: with it. So who's the real Chloe? are there things that annoy you? You're so composed. <laughs> There's <laughs> definitely things that annoy me. Um I think trolls would be a big one. I um I get really frustrated. Sometimes I get a bit flat about it because it's a little bit disheartening sometimes, but it makes me angry and I kind of have different ways of dealing with it. Sometimes if they say things that are really inappropriate, I'll just block them and delete it straight away. But I kind of love if they Come with an argument that's very flawed. I love going back to them with the data and the stats to completely prove them wrong. That's one of my favourite activities to shut them down with that information.
0: Maybe it's part of that determination. That's,
1: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Hang on, that's not right. <laughs> Hang on a second, I'm going to prove you wrong.
0: Yeah, that's a positive way to deal with that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, thank you. Okay, final question. If I was to ask you what you treasure about your life what comes to mind
1: I think it would have to be my partner and my family I think it's been um yeah just just a really special few years of of us all being back together in the one place and and I really really treasure that and it brings me so much happiness just getting to to spend time with them thanks Chloe thank you Well, folks, there you have it. That
0: is the incredible triple elite athlete, Chloe Dalton, who I am an absolute girl fan of. (laughs) Chloe, uh, it's been wonderful to share a little bit of your journey today. And I know that you will continue to go on to inspire our girls and women, not only here in New South Wales, but right around the world. Thank you for your passion for girls and women and for advocating so heavily for them. We're so proud to call you one of our ex-students. Thanks, Chloe. Thank you so much for
1: having me. I really enjoyed that. Such a pleasure.